I think one of the most important things about uncertainty in work is a lack of hierarchy. And I think this is something that is very unique to emergency medicine in some terms. So, for example, we all call each other by our first name, no matter who you are in the department, what your job is. Should you be the professor that walks in, we call him by his nickname. Everyone refers to me as Becky. And I think there's been a lot of work done on this in terms of clinical EYs on human factors and being able to challenge each other. And I think being challenged initially was something that when I started in my emergency medicine career and then took on a leadership role, being lead of the emergency department for a few years, that I find quite challenging and I took really personally and it's something I've had to work on. So I think in the era of uncertainty, being able to be challenged by your colleagues, taking a step back and rethinking what you're doing is vitally important. Welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. I'm Ferena Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. With this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme, I aim to give you access to inspiration, different thoughts and practical support so you can continue to progress your career in a way that works for you whilst enjoying your young children. A massive thank you to the Royal College for Emergency Medicine, who have been really forward thinking actually in how to support parents in emergency medicine and have part sponsored so far five emergency medicine colleagues to take part in the award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. And I've just been so inspired to see how some of the fellows who've been taking part this year have already done so much to support other parents in the specialty, which has created a real ripple effect. And that makes me so impressed and happy. So today's conversation is with Becky Maxwell. She works for University Hospitals Bristol and Western NHS Foundation Trust as an emergency medicine consultant part-time. She is also a clinical chair of the Division of Diagnostics and Therapies within the hospital. So she holds that manager leadership role and she's clinical chair at the Royal College for Emergency Medicine Learning. And she also has a two-year-old son. So she really does have her hands full, especially in the current climate. We talk about dealing with uncertainty We talk about the importance of real and meaningful connections, especially in the age of Zoom and obviously COVID restrictions. We have quite an honest conversation about looking after your mental health during a crisis, as well as how you influence senior leaders who don't have supporting parents at the forefront of their minds. Because let's face it, so many senior leaders are very busy and some of them don't see supporting parents or other diversity-related issues as a priority. And actually, how do you make them aware of issues in a good way that gets results? And Becky has some really useful thoughts to share on that. If you want to support this work, then share this podcast with anyone who you think could benefit. And please sign up to the newsletter online on leadersplus.org.uk. Enjoy today's conversation. So a very warm welcome, Becky, to the podcast. It's lovely to have this chance to chat with you. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself, who is in your family and what you do for work? 
So thank you very much for inviting me to take part in the podcast today. So my name is Becky Maxwell. I'm currently a mother of a two-year-old called Turla, and I have a husband called Aidan in my family. And from a work perspective, my job consists of a couple of strands. So I'm an emergency medicine consultant, and I do that part of my work part-time. And I'm also clinical chair of the Division of Diagnostics and Therapies within my hospital trust, which is a managerial and leadership role, which is also part of my job plan. One thing that I'm really interested in with everyone I'm talking to is just the practicalities of how you and your partner do it with childcare, especially your job. It sounds like it's quite bitty because you have these different hospital-based roles and then also the role as a consultant, but also obviously you don't have the nine to five. So how do you practically make that work? <laughs> it's tricky at times, it requires a little bit of organisation, but it is possible to combine uh, lots of different strands to your career is the first thing that I would say. So my husband is a civil servant and he works Monday to Friday and nine to five and is a bit of flexi time. And my clinical role is the emergency medicine consultant. And I'm sure everyone listening is aware that A&E departments and emergency departments are 24-7 departments and require presence of the clinicians there all the time. So from the ED side of things, basically, we are able to self-roster, actually, which is really good. So in our department, we have a self-rostering system where we can pick our shifts. And that's been really flexible, actually, in enabling me to have another strand to my career and also allow myself a bit of time at home with the family. Because obviously, I do have to work late shifts and weekends relatively often, not all the time, but quite often. The way it works kind of is I also have my divisional management role. And in that role, I basically look after and I'm accountable for quality and safety of some of the division's clinical services. And that requires me to do a lot of papers, talk to a lot of different specialties and be in an office a couple of days a week. So I've generally set aside two days a week to do that role where I don't work clinically at all. So then that usually be a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And my ED work fits in and around that really. And because we're able to self-roster... I've been able to allow myself some time at home with the family during the week. I've been able to fit my divisional work in around shifts and everything has been quite flexible from both sides, actually, in terms of the divisional team have moved meetings to Tuesdays and Wednesdays to accommodate me and ED have allowed me to choose when I want to work to a certain extent, as long as the department's covered and I'm working the hours that I'm supposed to. Mm, brilliant. And just as you described this and practical side of it, one word has come to me, which is sleep. So you've got a two-year-old and you work a job that I presume require you to be there sometimes in the night. What, if anything, have you learned about how to manage sleep for yourself so you can survive and sometimes even thrive? Yeah, so sleep's an interesting thing. There's been actually a lot of work done on that in the medical profession and the importance of sleep and rest. And you're right, there are times where I'm called in the middle of the night or perhaps not home until well after midnight and perhaps expected to be in my managerial role the next morning. And a lot of it is about looking after yourself. And if you do have a tough shift or you do have a busy night, being able to either get that time back or make sure that the next day you're able to leave a bit earlier or my husband's able to do pick off and drop off instead of me and just have a little bit of flexibility just around home life and work life. And that's been really important and something that I have felt that the trust and the hospital and my colleagues have all been fairly flexible with. A lot of them have children themselves. A lot of them have other roles themselves. And I think that's been vitally important to develop those relationships both at home and in work to facilitate you getting the rest that you need and make sure you're all right. Mm, that's so important. And I'm sure 
not always straightforward. And another topic I've been thinking a lot about recently is uncertainty. I think it's something that is relevant both for any parent in a leadership career, because you don't know what your child is going to do next and whether they develop an illness and have to be off. Generally, if you're trying to do something new, which many of the listeners are because they want to have ambitious roles combined with young children, that's not often a done thing. That comes with uncertainty. And then we're in a global pandemic. And I'm just really interested in what, if any, uncertainties that you're facing at the moment. And I want to unpick about how you're dealing with that in the day to day. You've hit the nail on the head of something that which is really poignant to everyone at the moment. Um, uncertainty, I think, has always been a large part of my work, no matter what role I've been in. And I think you will find that most emergency medicine clinicians and nurses and anyone who works in the department almost thrives a little bit on uncertainty. And that's something we've had to adapt. That That's why we chose emergency medicine as a career. No day is the same and every day throws up new challenges. And being able to adapt to uncertainty is key skill. And there's something that I have developed throughout my training, throughout my time as an emergency medicine consultant. And it's something that has stood me in really good stead over the last few months. And I think in order to bring the best to patients in the department when you're at work, you need to be able to adapt quickly to changing situations. Sometimes this isn't without stress and how you manage stress is important and having an excellent team around you and having people you can count on is key. I think one of the most important things about uncertainty in work is a lack of hierarchy. And I think this is something that is very unique to emergency medicine in some terms. So, for example, we all call each other by our first name, no matter who you are in the department, what your job is. Should you be the professor that walks in, we call him by his nickname. Everyone refers to me as Becky. And I think there's been a lot of work done on this in terms of clinically wise on human factors and being able to challenge each other. and. I think being challenged initially was something that when I started in my emergency medicine career and, and then took on a leadership role, being leader of the emergency department for a few years, that I find quite challenging and I took really personally and it's something I've had to work on. So I think in the era of uncertainty, being able to be challenged by your colleagues, taking a step back and rethinking what you're doing is vitally important. In terms of family life, you're right as well. There's a whole lot of uncertainty at the moment. I don't know if I'm going to get a call from nursery saying that someone in Turner's bubble has had a positive test and all of a sudden that you know, he's in isolation for two weeks and we have to find a way to get childcare to work. And that's really difficult at the moment. And I think being flexible with each other and having a really good system where if that happens to one of your colleagues everyone seems to be prepared to step up and cover and help out and do shifts and swap shifts and just be flexible as possible. And that's how we make it work practically. In the era of COVID as well, a lot of things have switched to online. When we spoke about uncertainty and childcare last Thursday, my son had a vomiting bug. So all of a sudden I found myself in the situation where I was at home. I wasn't working clinically that day, but I did have meetings to attend and helpfully being able to do some of those meetings virtually, swap over with my husband, who's also doing virtual meetings from home and make sure that we provided childcare. Plus we're able to continue to attend things and works really well. And one of the positive things I think to have come out of the last few months is the ability to work from home, the ability to do things online, the ability also to understand that perhaps the hours that you keep in work don't need to be as rigid as used to be. 
So if you had a day of meetings or a, a day of sitting at home doing papers and working on things managerially, you could do that around hours that your child was perhaps being homeschooled, if that was the situation you're in. And being able to work in an environment where that is important and now has almost become the norm, I think helps with uncertainty in the future. And I think it will be the norm and certainly mm. change the way people approach various situations as we go forward because COVID isn't going mm. away. These periods of mm. isolation aren't going away. And being able to lead to a certain extent as well when you're in a management role and allow people that flexibility is the only way that you're going to get the best out of your team and ensure that they're all well, they're all happy and they're all productive. Mm, that is so true. What you're saying here is making me think. I think there's something about the paradigm shift that we are forced to do a paradigm shift now. And obviously I don't work in medicine, but many of my family members do. And I may be wrong, but I've heard that some things have taken a very long time to change now have changed very quickly, like you mentioned with the online working from home, especially for people who do clinics. And I think that's so interesting that there is that paradigm shift that is happening. And I love your spin around uncertainty, you know, the different behaviors that we need to exhibit about being open to being challenged and working together in a non-hierarchical way to deal with the challenge at hand where there's no clear solution and where the goalposts are ever changing. It's so provoking. But you mentioned about leadership as well. So I presume the people you lead are feeling the uncertainty. How do you deal with that? Because you can't provide them reassurance to an extent, can you? No, you absolutely can't. And the leadership role that I'm in within the hospital at the moment, I actually started on the 1st of April. So I started that role as the pandemic was starting to ramp up and be very real in front of all of our eyes. Mm. And if I explain a little bit about the role, it might help you understand what I'm about to say. Mm -hmm. So it's a clinical chair and a clinical chair of a, a division in the hospital means that they are accountable for safety, quality, productivity, um, reaching targets of certain specialties which come under that division. And for me, that division's uh, the division of diagnostics and therapies. And Within that division, there exists a lot of specialties that I never trained in. I hadn't touched since medical school. So for me, it's radiology, pharmacy, laboratories, audiology, a bit of medical physics. So I quite quickly entered into a role where not only was I leading and being accountable for the actions and supporting these individuals, but also I had to learn very, very quickly. So there was a lot of uncertainty myself surrounding how these specialties actually worked. And I find that actually being thrown into this in the midst of COVID was a good thing and it had its positives as well as its negatives. So whereas normally I think if I had started this role and we hadn't been in the midst of pandemic, I would have probably spent a month or two going and visiting all the departments, really learning how they work, getting to know all the people. But actually, because COVID restrictions, I couldn't set foot in the department. So I had to meet with them all virtually get as much knowledge as possible, as quickly as possible, and help support them in that way. So it was very uncertain for me and very uncertain for them as well. And I think how we got around that was I had a very good divisional team who welcomed me on board and spent time talking to me and were happy for me to ask any questions that I wanted to ask and were happy to sit with me and explain stuff that I wasn't sure about. But also I made myself available to those teams and I made sure that I spent time getting to know them, getting to know their problems. 
and therefore were able to understand their problems. I wasn't able to provide the solution because I'm not the expert, but I think there's something about uncertainty and giving the specialty leads and people that you're supporting in a leadership role, the opportunity to try stuff, the opportunity to put ideas forward. And if those ideas don't work, that's okay. That's not a failure. That's absolutely fine. They've tried something. It hasn't worked. What can we learn from that? How can we do better next time? And I think in the role I'm in at the moment and given the situation we're in, that is really important. And we're approaching a possible second wave Hopefully it won't be as busy as the first wave, but we've had to learn lessons from the first wave and we've had to understand what we can do better. And that's all part of the process. And it's not about, for me, sometimes people coming to me and asking, can they do stuff? But also just getting on and doing it and allowing them the autonomy to do that and allowing people the autonomy to find out what works and what doesn't work and supporting them through that. Mm-hmm. It strikes me that you had to lead people who were specialists in their field well, you studied this early on in your career, but it's not your specialty. How did you establish credibility, especially in a pandemic situation where everyone is stressed? So I think the thing that I did was I listened and I hope I still do listen. And I let them explain to me what the issues were rather than assuming I knew the issues. Because I think if you go in with two feet and tell someone who knows an awful lot more about a subject than you do, how to do their job, that's the wrong thing to do. Mm. I think being available for support and if they had any problems with solving any of the issues, being able to escalate them, escalate them to exec level, talk to another hospital in the system, talk to the system itself and ask for further support and providing those links was more important than actually directing people what to do in a specialty that was not my area of expertise. Mm. The other thing I think it has done is probably opened my eyes a bit to maybe how narrow-minded I was before. And I'd happily put my hand in my heart and say that that might have been a problem with myself before when, you know, I was leading the emergency department. I think it's very easy to think you are the worst off people and not be able to see the broader picture of perhaps what you do and the effects it has in other systems in the hospital. But certainly becoming involved in other systems of the hospital has helped me broaden my horizon to that and appreciate the effects that a change in one part of the hospital has in another, et cetera. And that system working is extremely important to the success of a hospital and the success, I think, of being a leader. Mm. So do you think you've changed as a leader during this period? Undoubtedly, yes, definitely. Mm. I think there has been a huge period of self-reflection. I think looking back and looking at my previous leadership role in the emergency department, there would be things I would do differently if I went back again. And I think a lot of that is to do with looking beyond the doors in front of you. And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes if you've got a busy department or a crisis happening in your area of the hospital, it's really difficult to open your eyes and think beyond it and look beyond it. But I think that's something that is essential to the success of any organisation, not just in a hospital. Uh, It's something I have absolutely learnt through this pandemic. That's so interesting. So actually looking outside of your own doors is what you're describing as one of the key essentials of leadership. Yeah. Especially in this situation. Yeah. Interesting. And how has this experience affected your relationship with your son, if at all? I think my son has always been the center of my world since he was born. 
I think him being born and him being around has actually made me a better person and probably more reflective. Probably for myself, I look at myself a bit more and look after my well-being a bit better because he's here. I think before my son came along, I find it maybe very difficult to say no and find work perhaps all-consuming and find it difficult to step away and do some things for myself. Whereas since Turley came along, one of the first things I did after my mat leave is I went back and I made sure that I had a day a week off work. And I kept that until the pandemic. Now, the last few months, because of uncertainty, I do have a child mind during that day of the week. But it's certainly something that the division I work for is very supportive of me getting back. And the emergency department is to gain that time with him. And I think actually, rather than it change your relationship with him, what he has done as a whole is probably make me look after myself a bit better. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting because also they can pick it up. They really can. You can't hide if you're not feeling great. I find children and animals are very similar in that extent. They, they know exactly how you feel. Yeah, mm. as opposed to maybe sitting on the sofa or sitting having dinner and having my phone with my emails on it beside me. There's now something else that has my attention and grabs my attention. You can't do mm. that anymore. That's been very good for me. And sometimes I might find myself going to grab my phone, but I'm like, actually, do you know what? He's going to bed at an hour's time. Leave my mm. phone until after I read a story to him and put him in bed and then I can pick up my phone again. So are you someone who does switch off or is that not something that you do? So something I'm coming better at. It's something that I'm really trying to do. So Something that I have done in the last couple of years to really try to help with that is I've done a bit of running. So I would take myself off where I'm not mommy. I'm not an ED clinician. I'm not a manager. And I go for a run several times a week. I don't take a phone with me. I don't take earphones with me. I literally just run and have it to myself and my thoughts. Now, that's not to say an occasion I don't think about work when I'm out running, but sometimes a light bulb moment goes off and I think of a solution that I haven't been able to think of for a long time. But certainly it's a space where I can just lose myself in my own thoughts. And I think that's been very good for me just to get away from everything and spend some time just looking at myself. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's very powerful. Another thing that strikes me when I look at your bio, you sound like a very busy person. So you have a two-year-old and a partner and obviously your consultant job plus your hospital-wide job plus you're involved with the Royal College of Emergency Medicine. So I know many people when they have children are unsure about whether or not to take further responsibilities. And what made you decide to go for these responsibilities or to keep them after having a child? I suppose that there's two aspects to that. Uh, firstly, if I speak about my leadership role in the hospital and then come on to the RCAM role, which you alluded to. So I always wanted to take on a leadership role in the hospital. That was always on my radar. It perhaps came a bit sooner than I expected, if I'm honest. So I had a plan for a few years where you know someone else was doing the lead of the emergency department. They had another person who was going to do it after them and I would do it after that. However, the person who was in charge of the emergency department became unwell and had to have some time off work. And the person who was meant to do it after them was a mat leave. So quite quickly, my turn came about three or four years in advance of where I had hoped it would be. So I suppose that aspect landed on me relatively quickly, which is probably why I find myself in the situation I am now, where I have a senior leadership role in the hospital with a young child. However, once I got in that role, I realized that I really enjoyed it. And it was something that I felt I wanted to develop further. It was something 
that I felt I was reasonably good at and I really wanted to dedicate some time to it. So despite the fact I had my child and took a bit of mat leave off when I was the clinical lead of the emergency department, I went back. And once I knew my tenure of that lead was coming to an end, it was something that I wanted to continue my development with. And that's why I went for a divisional role in the hospital. Part of it is enjoyment. Part of it is it's something different just to being clinical all the time. So as you alluded to, I'm very busy but I like a bit of variety in my life. So I think I could be as busy and be a full-time emergency medicine consultant. But what actually doing a leadership role gives me is being able to step out of that position of being an emergency mm-hmm. medicine consultant and concentrate on something else that I'm interested in for a bit. And then when I'm mm-hmm. clinical and seeing patients, I'm able to step out of that managerial role and see patients and concentrate on that. So I think the variety helps. And I think that variety also helps me with my well-being so one of the roles doesn't become all consuming and you mentioned the RCHEM role so I am clinical co-chair of the Royal College of Emergency Medicine and RCHEM learning site which really is a website where we produce educational resources for people and we publish podcasts every month we publish blogs every month we have lots of little SAQs on there and really with that role I think the really important thing with that is that yes, it does take up time, but I use it to help my clinical role in the emergency department. So every year we have to do a certain number of hours of continuing professional development and CPD, and I happen to have an interest in education. So I'm very strongly of the view that there's very little point in me spending three or four hours preparing an education session or a presentation for some junior doctors where perhaps I only get between six and 10 doctors there, and then that's the end of those few hours. By using Orchem Learning, what we've been able to do is I'm able to produce a guideline podcast every month, but it's not just for my own CPD. It's not just for the people in my department's CPD, but by producing a podcast, then we're able to get it out there and get several hundred downloads and actually have a lot of people get CPD from it. So I'm kind of using the interest in my leadership role alongside my education and my continuing professional development almost rolled into one. And that's really, really helpful. I think what is super important is that if you take on a role like RCHEM, which is extracurricular, like as you described it, is that the people that you're doing it with become good friends and you can rely on them. So so quite often we have a little group of us that work in RCHEM learning together. And of an evening, you will find pictures of our kids, of our dogs, arguments about whether it's better to use a charcoal or a gas barbecue. And I think the really important thing about doing something like that is you need to enjoy it and you need to bring the value of that back into your work life. And when you don't enjoy doing it, then it's time to stop. Mm, There's so much rich advice in there. And I love the point about making whatever you do, trying to have some real human connection, whether obviously now the whole charcoal argument well, we can't do that many barbecues as it's getting colder yes. and who knows about the COVID restrictions coming in. But I think that's such an important point to actually make those real human connections and enjoy. And I get a sense you don't regret it. And I speak to so many people who really are scared. I'm not saying it's right for everybody. Not everybody needs to take on lots of extra responsibilities. But you're telling me that you would be busy anyways, just because you are super committed and actually the different roles reinforce each other. So you are in a way training the trainees in your department better because of your work with the RCM and the podcast that you do. Yeah. So I find that quite inspirational. Yeah. Actually. I really think any job you do, the moment you stop enjoying it or aren't able to make connections, because I think connections are the most vital thing with anything mm. you do. 
that you need to take a step back and have a look and then question why. Mm. And on that, you know, mental health is an important topic and we are all told to do meditation, go running, which obviously you do really well, and a few other things. But I'm really intrigued. Do we have to just accept that in a crisis we do, and I know you're not a psychiatrist, so I'm just looking for your personal view, but in a crisis, do we just have to accept that our mental health is going to suffer and everyone has mental health, so everyone's mental health can suffer? Or personally, did you manage to look after your mental health during this crisis time? Yeah, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend there haven't been days that I haven't been stressed. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I don't have bad days because I think that's human. I think everyone has. But I think it's really how you approach that and how you look after that and look after each other. That has helped me through. And I think there's probably various strands to this. I mean, I, first of all, I've already spoken about my family and they've been extremely important and making sure, for example, if I'm not working a weekend, that myself, Aidan and Turla have something to do as a family has been extremely important and something that I continue to do. I think inside work, you need to make sure that you've got that one person. You've almost got one person that you trust implicitly that you're able to open up to. That you're able to say, I'm having a bad day. And that person is able to respond. And I certainly have that undoubtedly and work with a very close colleague. I also think it kind of goes a step beyond that. And I've already spoken a little about connections. And I think you need to look for other connections as well. And I'm very fortunate that, for example, I have a group of school friends that I've been friends with for several decades and none of them are medics which is lovely and uh, we mightn't see each other all the time I'm sure you can tell by my accent that I'm not from England where I work but we do keep in contact we have a whatsapp group and barely a day goes by where three or four of us don't talk in that and they keep me grounded I think that's also quite good and to a certain extent I hope I keep them grounded in their work and they do completely different things to me and All of that all together, alongside, as you already mentioned, the exercise, I think it comes together for me personally to help protect my mental health. And I think everyone, as I said, has a bad day. I think if you start talking to people, everyone has a struggle. And it's really finding ways to support each other and overcome that struggle. That is vitally important. When I spoke to someone in work about me recording this podcast at a senior level in our organization, they told me they were a single father. I didn't know that. And I think it's only by having connections and having open and honest conversations that you start to understand other people's struggles and be able to support them and learn from them as well. Interesting. So how do you create those meaningful connections? I'm glad that the fact that you had the podcast, <laughs> that that led to an open discussion. But do you have any reflections about what you can do to enable those meaningful connections especially at a time where everything is frantic? It's hard. And I think the most important thing, and many of us are very short of it, is time. So, you know, I learned something recently when I was doing a bit of reading about leadership and on a course where they mentioned that, for example, on a Zoom meeting, could you make the Zoom meeting end five minutes early so you can go and have a cup of tea with someone or you can have a chat with someone at the end of the meeting so you're not lurching from meeting to meeting and I think that's probably something that although I've spoken about how this new technological world that we've all found ourselves in all of a sudden has been really sort of advantageous in some aspects of life 
I think in other aspects, it's been quite damaging. You know, going into meetings previously, you would have gone in and you would have had a chat beforehand. How was your holiday? How was your life? Again, as you leave the room, you would have a chat with someone. And that's something that is missing at the moment. No one talks at the start of a Zoom meeting or a Microsoft Teams meeting. Everyone kind of sits there in silence. And I don't know how we quite get that connection back, but I think we all have to work on that and maybe stopping meetings and saying, this is going to end five minutes early. We'll give you five minutes time back. I don't actually want you to go and spend your five minutes catching up on work. Go and have a chat with someone or phone someone up and have a chat. And I think those sort of things start to come into play a lot more and are vitally important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I don't know what the answer is, but I think we somehow need to use the approach of the philosopher Theodore Seldin. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he came up with this idea of powerful dinner conversations. So he gives people a list of really powerful questions. For example, when have you last cried? Really personal stuff. And get strangers together to have a conversation. And I don't know how you would use that approach at the end of a Zoom meeting for five minutes, but there seems to be something in that because it leads to really honest conversations quite often. When we started the fellowship program, so we run this nine-month program, and when we started it, it was literally just the lockdown hit and we had to move it online and we had our mentor matching event. Now, mentor matching is very important to have a personal connection. And to be honest, I panicked a little bit for a moment. I said, how am I going to do this without face-to-face? And then I came across his work and we just gave people half an hour to discuss some of the questions that he's come up with. And it was really, really powerful, really surprising, and actually more powerful than face-to-face stuff that we've done previously. So I don't know what the answer it is, but somehow maybe we do need to look to philosophers and to different disciplines to really change our way of working. Yeah, move on from just talking about the weather, which is what a mm. lot of people do if they've got five <laughs> minutes. And <laughs> we absolutely love doing in this country to actually having a bit more questions about what's troubling people or what they're finding difficult. And that will hopefully open up some more doors. Very true. I want to ask you about something completely different. So I believe that in order to support parents to continue to stay in roles like emergency medicine and to continue to progress up the career ladder, it's essential that we convince leaders who are not switched on about gender equality or about the needs of parents or any needs of groups with specific additional circumstances. And I'm interested in whether you have any thoughts about something that has worked for you to communicate with people for whom supporting parents is not at the forefront about your needs. You may not have had any challenges, in which case, wonderful. But if you have had experiences, I think listeners would really benefit. I think this is extremely topical at the moment and it's something actually as a leader I'm working on personally and not just about gender and parenting but a bit about diversity as well and understanding everyone's needs and how to become more diverse in my leadership and make the organisation to be more diverse and certainly it's a hot topic at the moment and I think the only way to do that, I kind of touched on it before, is to almost talk openly and make people feel uncomfortable. Certainly in situations where I've been forced by someone of a different gender or different ethnic background to sit there and be uncomfortable are the conversations which have been most powerful to me actually and the conversations that have resonated with me and perhaps made me look to my own unconscious biases a bit. And I think everyone has an unconscious bias, whether it be people of different race or parents Mm. or gender. And You have to not be afraid to make people feel uncomfortable 
because actually by taking people out of their comfort zone and challenging and having these conversations, then that's the only way I think that we can make the working environment better as a whole for everyone. Mm, I agree. And I do think the most important thing is to mention it. Yes. Even in those small meetings, if it's in an HR policy, wonderful. But actually what really matters is that people like you and I mention it when that bias comes up Yes, in meetings. Like, oh, yes, she's probably not going to come back. She's on maternity leave. She probably doesn't want to go for that job anymore. You're not, and of course, with race, the same. But it's really tough because you're putting yourself on the line. Yeah. But I think it's essential to do that if you want a different world. It creates, makes it unacceptable and it really gets people to think differently. So well done you for having challenging conversations when it's needed. And to be fair, it's something I had to work on myself. I will openly you know, put my hand in my heart and say that I have been that person that has been challenged before. And even to do with parenting, you know, I remember being at a conference four or five years ago and a mother bringing her baby at the conference. And I absolutely support that. And I absolutely think that all conferences should make women able to bring their babies that are breastfeeding to the conference. At the time, I struggled to see it. I didn't have a child myself. And I was challenged by some of my peers and really challenged to think about my position. And it was only by doing that that it opened my eyes. And I'm very grateful for them challenging me at that time. Yeah, same here. I've been given feedback before I had children that I wasn't supportive enough, and rightly so, on a particular instance. So I think we can all learn. And thank you for being so open. Again, that's just awesome and inspirational. So I would love to hear, if you ended up having a daughter at some point who chose to be in a similar career like you and who chose to have children, what are the top three practical things that you would advise her to really hold to heart and do practically? So I think the first one is to make time for your family and friends, no matter how busy you are. I think it's important that you don't forget about the connections you made years ago. You don't forget about the connections that are right there in front of you now. And the first thing I would say is make sure you make some time for those people, because those are the people who will be there, whether you have a job or not. Those are the people that will pick you up. And those are the people that will stand by your side. I think the second thing I would say is don't be afraid to tell someone if you're struggling and need help with something. I think being honest is one of the most important things if you're in a busy leadership role that you could be. If you're struggling, be honest and ask for help. If you've made a mistake, be honest and front up for it. And I think having that honest strand through things will help you through and help you to gain credibility, which you spoke about earlier, both as a leader and a person. And the last thing I would probably say is, I spoke about making time for your family and friends, but make time for yourself and look after your health because without your health, you're not going to be able to do your job. You're not going to be able to look after your family. And as I say, over the last couple of years, that's something I've changed for myself with my running and just trying to make myself more aware of my mental and my physical health and trying to drive both those things forward. And what do you personally enjoy the most about having both your family commitment and your son and at the same time this career balance and I think the balance that I've got at the moment is what I enjoy most and you know there's something about coming home every night and making my child laugh which makes me smile so much and even in the worst day at work when I come home I know I've got my husband my child here and seeing him smile and making him happy 
is vitally important. And that's really what I enjoy about the balance. And again, when I go into work, I'm sure people are sick of hearing me talk about him because uh, I kind of want to bring a little bit of him maybe into my work. And quite often I say to people, he's at the age where he's so innocent and it's very easy to please him. You know, I often wonder where the rest of us have lost their innocence. And at that age, they don't want to hurt anyone. They don't understand all that sort of emotional side of things. And I think bringing a little bit back of that sort of compassion and just happiness that he has would be really good back into the workplace. Mm, That is true. We can learn a lot from children. And it is absolutely great how toddlers are just the best old, and no matter how bad your jokes are, I'm not saying yours are bad, but mine <laughs> definitely are. They really, really are so happy <laughs> when you put on some comedy. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Wonderful. So is there anything else that you really wanted to give to listeners or share with them? We're coming to the end of it, but I just want to make sure we didn't miss anything important you wanted to share. No, I think we've covered most bits. I've given my three bits of advice to my daughter, but I can't sort of say enough to listeners that if you want to do something, there's absolutely no reason why a family stops you doing it. You can combine both and you can bring the best aspects of both into your work and your home life. And it's only when you stop enjoying something that you should step back. But certainly having a family should not be a barrier to continuing to pursue what you want from your career. Mm, that's very wise advice. And if listeners want to find out more about your work, is there anywhere they can go looking? Are you on social media? Yeah, so I'm quite an active Twitter user. So they can find me under the Twitter handle at Maxi Rebecca. And lots of my links are in there. And especially from all my sort of extracurricular archem learning work, a lot of it comes through on my Twitter feed and any of the learning resources that I produce or my colleagues produce, I tend to put on there. So that's somewhere that's quite useful to go. Fantastic. And I think the people who work in emergency medicine should definitely also listen to your podcast. It sounds like it's a very clear and helpful resource for people to have. And especially if you can listen to it while you're commuting, it sounds really valuable. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me today. Mm, pleasure. Thank you for listening today. And a big thank you to Emily Beat at the Royal College for Emergency Medicine, who helped us find Becky, such a brilliant person to interview and have a chat with. So, I hope you did enjoy today's conversation. If you did, then it would be fantastic if you can head over to whatever platform you're using to listen to podcasts, for example, iTunes or Spotify, and put a review down. It really helps with visibility. And plus, myself and Lynn and Lindsay and the team, we always just do a quick happy dance when we see a new review coming in. And obviously, five-star reviews really help with visibility. And if you can share it with friends, that would be hugely appreciated and makes such a difference. Thank you for listening and until next week.